We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get going today, checking out at the top here, just a quick, uh, not that it really matters, but uh, we had the pause in the uh, podcast midway through. So I'm time traveling right now. I'm talking to you on Saturday when the first half of this pod you hear was recorded on Friday. Don't think it affects much, but uh, the people's holiday was on a Saturday this week. If you guess at what point I stopped the pod, I will give you a free hug. There, anyway. All right, let's get rolling. It's Mailbag Friday. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The people's holiday is upon us once again. We'll get to your mailbag questions today as it is a just a solo show. Me and... Uh, me and me, one of one. So we'll get to uh, some mailbag stuff, and then I've got some Auburn Harson thoughts off the top. As it is appear, it appears that that situation has released reached some sort of uh, resolution, if you could call it that. But have some thoughts on that before we get to that. I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Are you betting on college basketball right now? Because if you are, you should be using Skybox Sports Picks. Do you know why? Because Skybox Sports Picks year to date on five unit bets is plus 69 units. Nice, as they gave to me in the ad read. On one unit bets, they're 307 and 275 plus 4.5 units. In total, they're 411 and 357. That's a total of plus 73 and a half units. If you are a 50 unit better, you would have made 3K in the last year, or excuse me, $3,600 in the last year. If you're a 500 unit better, you would have made 36,750. 36, that sounds like a lot of money. You need to check these guys out. They're the best in the business, the real deal. They are owning the Super Bowl this week. Their props card was sent out today. Uh, they gave out two props for free. If you're ready, drop this one down. Cam Akers under 65 and a half yards and first kickoff not to be a touchback. Before I started recording this today, I saw a Pat McAfee segment where he was saying bet the first kickoff not to be a touchback because they use new footballs in the Super Bowl and it's impossible to get a new football that is fully, fully inflated into the end zone. So there's some inside knowledge. I'm sure more it went into Skybox method, but Skybox are the real deal. You got an NFL kicker telling you to follow Skybox. How about that? Crushing it in college basketball, as I mentioned. 
football coming to a close, but NASCAR is heating up. Skybox is one of their uh, bread and butter niches is NASCAR. The NASCAR package goes out later this month. If you buy it right now, you get the futures for free. Use the promo code NASCAR and you get 30% off for buying the NASCAR package. For all other purchases, use the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you get 20% off. If you're wagering and not using Skybox, that means you're losing money. And why would you do that? Wouldn't you prefer to win money? Skyboxsportspicks.com. Go find a fix, picks package that's going to fit your price range. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's, the best butcher shop in Mississippi, the best butcher shop in the world, for that matter. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrides.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Then go find your own favorites at LB's. All kinds of awesome stuff there. Different cuts, bacon wrap fillets, scab, uh, crab stuffed mushrooms. I always love the fillet burgers and the ribeye sausage, but you need to go find your own favorites. Greg wants to make your grilling experience terrific, and he's going to make sure you get exactly what you need. Go check him out. LB's, University Avenue across from Kroger, soon to be in the central Mississippi area in Glugstaff. So how about that? LB's one of Oxford and Mississippi's crown jewels. All right, before we get to what is a lighter edition of Mailbag Friday, not shaming the listeners yet. We had a terrific response last week. I actually have a couple holdovers from last week that I probably need to get to, but a little bit of a lighter slate. It's Super Bowl Sunday uh, this week. Maybe people are distracted. I'm just making up excuses for the listeners. Please send in your mailbag questions. But we'll get to those. But before we get to that, I wanted to get to a couple of, uh, or at least one topic as far as it pertains to the auburn Brian Harson situation. So as we last checked in on this, I believe it was on Monday's podcast, I was outlining that Auburn's dysfunctional booster culture is ultimately what has led to this bizarre situation in which Auburn is probably going to conduct a coaching search in February. That didn't happen. It has been resolved, supposedly. So Cole Kubelik, uh, SEC sideline network guy, he does a radio show in Birmingham in the morning. I can't remember the name of it. Very successful show. Good, du- I, uh, good dude, uh, good at his job. Had a report this morning that said, basically, I believe that, Auburn, that Brian Harson will be retained as Auburn's head coach. Normally, my rule, when it's not like a newspaper or media outlet and it's kind of a TV radio-ish guy, take it with a grain of salt, but Cole played football at Auburn and is pretty damn plugged in there. And also whenever that guy actually has something, he's usually correct. There are always exceptions to the rule. I would count Cole Kublik certainly is one of those. That guy gets good information and shit. He's as plugged in as anyone at their alma mater. So this comes out. And it's probably a surprising ending to all of this. I say ending, surprising stopgap to this saga. It's, I think it's the end of the saga. I don't think it's the end, at the end of this chapter. I don't think it's the end of the story because I think this is still – um, a runaway train headed for uh, headed for disaster. But anyway, it was surprising in some ways, but then all of a sudden, I guess it like in the same sense, it's not because what we talked about on Monday's show was Auburn putting out the ridiculous statements they put out, you know, over the last week about you know trying to sort out fact from fiction and you know do our due diligence and investigate the football program and all that. What they're really trying to say is. The people that actually make decisions around there, Auburn's kind of mafia-like booster culture, doesn't like Brian Harson. They didn't want him hired in the first place. I don't need to rehash the way Brian Harson was hired and the fact that 
athletic director Alan Green basically had an internal battle against the Auburn Boosters trying to stage a coup to get Kevin Steele hired. And the AD, who rarely wins those type of fights, actually won one of those fights. Anyway, point being, the same people that didn't want Brian Harson around last year that have, you know, pretty much ultimate power at Auburn. I wouldn't say ultimate, but a lot of power at Auburn. Shockingly, still didn't want him after a 6-7 and seven season. So they basically spent the last week and a half, two weeks, while Brian Harson was vacationing in Mexico, which is kind of like the perfect irony in all of this, turning over every stone to try to find a way to get around this guy's $18 million buyout. Because Auburn's paying Gus Malzahn, what, I think $21 million? So it would be a pretty, pretty tough look and as much money as these athletic departments have and some of these boosters have, it's still a pretty tough sell financially to pay your former coach $21 million, the coach you hired after him that is now going to be your former coach, $18 million, and then go pay another coach, you know, at least $5 bucks a year. That's kind of the going rate for SEC guys now. You know, if they hired a coordinator or something, they could probably slip under that. So that's a tough sell. So they spent the last week and a half trying to find cause and trying to figure out a way to wiggle around that buyout to get the guy that no one wanted amongst the booster group, out of Auburn. And, you know, that came at the sacrifice of Brian Harson's professional setting. Like, they made his workplace as toxic as possible in order to make the situation untenable. And also, it kind of trying to dig up more scandalous, salacious things. You know, I don't – I mean, this is just a podcast. It's not like we're some news-breaking entity here. But, you know, somewhere in the Hugh Freeze, Bobby Petrino realm, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Some more salacious stuff about his personal life and maybe how he's not necessarily fit in Southern culture. But the point being, this quest and kind of witch hunt to get Brian Harson out of town came with no regard to his professional or professional life and his really just life in general at Auburn. So then they don't find anything, clearly. And now all of a sudden the situation is resolved. And I guess as I'm rambling here, that gets me back to my original point of like, this is surprising, but I guess it's not at the same time. Because if you don't find cause to fire Brian Harson, which clearly they didn't, or at least they haven't yet, I'm guessing they have stopped the search for it because you wouldn't leak this to the media that, you know, he's resolved and we're retaining him. Unless you, you know, decided that it was just, you're going to roll with it through the football season. So they stopped looking for cause. So once they couldn't find it, sounded like they didn't want to swallow the pill of paying Brian Harson his full $18 million buyout. Well, why wouldn't he agree? Why wouldn't they negotiate a, root, a reduced buyout, you ask? Well, Brian Harson would have to be an idiot to do that. Think about what happened to Brian Harson last week. He was probably, is he Mormon? I've heard he's Mormon, then I've heard he's a Scientologist. Doesn't matter. If he drinks, he was probably sitting on a beach somewhere or a pool in Mexico, sipping on a pina colada while his employer is rifling through every possible uh, corner of the football office, leaving no stun unturned to try to figure out a way to fire this guy for cause. And if you're squeaky clean, He's got nothing to worry about, or I say squeaky clean. I don't think Brian Harson is an angel or a saint in all of this. I doubt he's squeaky clean. Nobody that seems to hold these types of positions is, but doesn't have anything that you can prove to fire him for cause. It's probably a weirdly comforting position to be in. He was either going to come back to the United States with a fat check or an agreement to be paid $18 million you know, in installments over, because it's rarely 100% a lump sum, over the next year and a half and get out of a toxic situation or he was going to continue to do his job despite the tenuous circumstances, if you want to call it that. But honestly, if I were Brian Hartson, I would have rather had option number two. I think I would have rather had Balburn pay me $18 million and go on my merry way and get out of this situation where I'm clearly not wanted. But since they didn't 
find cause and they didn't want to fork up the money to pay $18 million. They have now orchestrated this ridiculous charade that they have done their investigation and they have found nothing and they are committed to Brian Harson and committed to winning championships. We're all a big family war damn. You know what that is? A complete load of utter horseshit. Here's a statement from Auburn University president, Jay Gog. I probably said that the wrong way. I don't really care. Let me be clear. Our university, the administration, and the entire board of trustees stand behind Coach Harson and are ready to help him succeed as the leader of our football program. It is my hope and expectation that the entire Auburn family will enjoy it and will join us in uniting behind Coach Harson. Now they're getting really serious because this next part of it is in large print. You know they mean business when they start jacking up with the fonts. With that, with that support, I have no doubt Auburn football's best days are ahead. Signed President Jay Gogue with a John Hancock-like signature. Dear God, what a mess. What this statement should have said is, and people like this, they always can't like the public facing figures are always the ones that have to go out in front of like the public and face, obviously public facing face, like take all the shit for this and get eggs thrown at them or whatever. Like this is not, none of this is Auburn president, Jay Gog or whatever the hell his name is. None of this is his doing. Like he didn't decide to conduct this investigation and then all of a sudden decide, you know, ah, oh, this guy's clean. We're good to go. Sorry, just a huge misunderstanding. Let's put out the statement. We fully support him. What they should have said is the people that pull the strings that move my arms, that tell me how to do my job and ultimately decide whether I get to keep my high paying job did not find any way to fire this guy over cause. And because those very rich people behind the scenes don't want to pay the $18 million, I am not going to come out and tell you that after further uh, clarity, we have decided coach Hartson is the man for the job and we support him. Blah, blah, blah. Auburn family. We're damned. That's pretty much how these things work. But make no mistake about like who was who was behind this and what happened. I don't think most. I think most of our listeners are pretty smart and probably understand mostly the gist of this. But it's just funny to watch play out in real time because all that's really happening here, barring Auburn going eleven and one next year, and my God, you see the dudes that left the program and the way they closed in recruiting this past year. I don't necessarily see eleven and one in the cards. Go ahead and mark me down for that. Old takes exposed it. I don't care. Feel pretty safe about that one. This guy's a lame duck coach for 2022, and they're going to fire him in 2022 after Auburn inevitably goes six and six, seven, five. I don't even think getting up in the, you know, things change and it depends on who they beat, but I don't even think getting up in like the eight and four range would really save Harson's job because it just does not seem like a cultural fit. I don't mean, I mean that without any sort of snark as much as I started making fun of how the cultural fit was covering up for, uh, you know, maybe some things Brian Harson likes to do in his personal life. But anyway. It's really just not a cultural fit. Fit sometimes overrated in college football. It's not overrated in this instance, and it's certainly not overrated at Auburn. You have to have a certain kind of dude and a certain kind of guy pretty much at any sort of athletics position, right? The guy before Auburn was a bit of kind of like the poster boy for the mafia. Like, I think it's actually very telling that Auburn president made this statement instead of Auburn athletic director Alan Green. Because you remember Alan Green is the guy that fought this Auburn booster mafia last year and won. There's no way that guy's long for this world. I think I read that earlier this week that Alan Green was in the last year of his contract. I don't think that's uh, any sort of coincidence, and I would be surprised. I don't know anything if there was an extension in line for Alan Green because he did the noble thing, right? He fought the mafia and hired his own guy. No athletic director who, you know, Alan Green came from Buffalo. The Gus Malzahn firing was his first chance to hire an SEC head football coach, right? That's a big deal. 
ask Ross Bjork right before he's going to make the Matt Luke hire, even though that wasn't his doing. We'll get to that analogy here in a second. That's a big deal. That's what these guys ultimately get judged on. You don't get too many swings at it. You don't give too many bites at the apple. And then all of a sudden to have, you know, a group of big money boosters tell you, actually, this is out of your hand, sucker. Like we're just paying you to be our poster, uh, poster boy. And, uh, you know, tell, uh, our mouthpiece, um, this is who we're hiring. He fought that and somehow won. Again, I keep reiterating that. That's amazing that he was able to get to this point to hire Brian Harson. Brian Harson wasn't Alan Green's first choice, but he was an Alan Green choice. He was not the choice of said group of dysfunctional boosters. And so I think that matters. I think he won the war. Anyway, I think it's telling that Auburn president, Auburn president is the one that released the statement rather than Alan Green for a myriad of different reasons. But be that as it may, that's where this is headed. They're basically just waiting until they have evidence to fire him, not for cause, by, you know, going six and six twice at Auburn. That is good enough to get you fired. You go six and six twice at a place like Auburn where they're all kind of consumed with uh, Saban derangement syndrome. That's good enough to get fired without, you know, raising too many eyebrows. And if they didn't want to fire – if they wanted to fire him without cause this um, – you know, this offseason, they would have been well within their right. People would have been like, oh, God, what's going on there? But it's well within their right. What is not well within their right and what is not good business practices is to do exactly what Auburn just did, and that is to stage a witch hunt to try to get an unpopular guy amongst the boosters run out of town in the middle of February after a completely new signing class has, you know, signed letters of intent to play at Auburn. That is not the way to conduct business. And this is a bad look for Auburn. Like, it, it, it – in all things, they made Brian Harson look like, I don't want to say the good guy, but the better man on the, in this two-sided fight. And that's kind of hard to do. So this is not good business practice. But, you know, you see this all the time. Auburn, I think, is the, probably the most extreme example of this in the Southeastern Conference. Texas, if you're talking about booster culture nationwide, dysfunctional booster culture, is probably up there with Auburn. I think Alabama probably used to be that way. I wasn't obviously old enough to be around and like, you know, know stuff or, you know, keep up with it that closely back pre-Saban in Alabama. But you read anything and you talk to anybody from that time, Alabama kind of had the same type booster mafia culture until Nick Saban basically came in there and said, look, if I take this job, I'm running this and I'm running this my way and you guys can get on board or shut up. And that worked out pretty well for them. So what is the lesson in all of this? The lesson in all of this is a couple of things. One, dysfunctional boosters, like a dysfunctional booster culture where everyone's not rowing in the same direction is not uncommon. But when they have the amount of power that they have at a place like Auburn and when they're allowed to have the amount of power that they have at a place like Auburn, it breeds widespread dysfunction. And it creates situations like this which is just a really bad look for Auburn. Look, when this job opens up in 10 months or whatever it is, someone's going to take the job, but they're already the only school that has to play the entire SEC West plus Georgia every year. They're in the same state as Alabama, having to win in-state recruiting battles against Alabama. And then now the guy that comes in here has to put up with this? Like, dudes with options? That doesn't sound like a place they would necessarily want to go. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tom changes that. Maybe they get someone good and it all works out. But this is not a great look. And it just further proves the dysfunction of Auburn. That honestly has made some of their athletic success over the last decade and a half pretty impressive. You see this in other places, though. You saw the lesser version of this play out with the hiring of Matt Luke. Ross Bjork wanted Dave Doran. Other people did not. 
Who are those other people? I don't know. You probably refer to them on message boards as the good old boy network. No one actually seems to know who they are. Uh, generally, or I say specifically, uh, generally, I think you could probably figure out a couple of them wanted Matt Luke to be the head coach. So what did it end up happening? Ross Bjork never got on a plane to Raleigh or wherever the hell NC State is to go pick up Dave Dorn. Instead, Matt Luke was your head coach. And guess what? When you I talk about the hollow statements and like kind of the egg, th- the uh, taking the uh, shit that the fr- uh, public facing people have to uh, have to take, Ross Bjork had to go walk into the room. Now, this was a bit of an easier sell job and, you know, make that video where he announces to the team that uh, Matt Luke is the head coach. Maybe the little bit of the harder part was doing a press conference the next day or a couple of days later explaining why he was qualified. But yeah, he had to act like he was his guy, even though it wasn't. And Ross Bjork, look, this is not a Ross Bjork sympathy corner here, but like he was tied to a guy, you know, fairly or unfairly for the next two to three years that he was not necessarily wanting to be the head coach. But, you know, you can fight him like Alan Green, and there's something noble in that. And I think Ross Bjork would have probably had more success in doing that than, you know, the, uh, the troops Alan Green was going up against at Auburn, if you want to put it that way. Or you can tote the company line like Auburn's previous uh, AD did for a long time and keep your job and get to go a lot of do go do a lot of fun stuff and get paid very well for it. So that's the lesson in all of this. Will it end up mattering in you know half a decade or so? I doubt it. Auburn will end up probably getting it right, but you know for the next year and a half, two years, Auburn's going to be. I don't know what the definition of down is, but Auburn is not going to be you know the upper version of Auburn that some people are accustomed to, and I'm curious to see. Um, what that looks like and that how that changes the landscape of an Alabama-dominated SEC West. But Brian Hartson is the head coach for another 10 months and will be paid handsomely for it. Auburn, most dysfunctional program in the SEC. Let's get to Mailbag Friday. All right, let's get to the people's mailbag questions. Starting with a topical one, everyone's favorite subject, basketball. Brody Clayton checking into Mailbag Friday this week. Why do people always bring up Mike White as Kermit's replacement? Excuse me, I've read that wrong. Why do people always bring up Mike White as a replacement if Ole Miss moves on from Kermit? That man can't win with Florida. Well, there's a couple of reasons. Mike White played with Keith Carter uh, at Ole Miss in the late 90s, and we're on you know, two of the better teams Ole Miss has had in their history. You could argue the best team Ole Miss has had in their history. I know that 0-1 team is the one that ended up going to the Sweet 16. But in terms of sheer talent, those are two of the most talented teams in Ole Miss history. And so it makes sense. Mike White and Keith Carter are friends. Mike White, you know, five years ago was an up-and-coming head coach. I believe his second year at Florida is when he made the Elite Eight. And, look, I know he's not the most popular guy at Florida. This is not a Mike White Stan uh, statement here, or I'm not defending Mike White in this sense. When we talk about can't win at Florida, like what exactly are we talking about here? Because Mike White, when he since he's been at Florida, with the exception of his first year, he went NIT quarterfinals, elite uh, round of elite eight, second year round of 32, round of 32, canceled because of COVID, round of 32. So Mike White, in all what is that five years he's been at Florida. Four of the five years he's made the tournament and he's won a game in the NCAA tournament in four of those five years. So, like, what does that, what does like not winning mean? I mean, he has a 14 and four year in league play. He's got a couple 11 and sevens and a nine and nine, I think. And I believe they're nine and seven in league play, like, right, right now. I get it. It's Florida. That's a good job. They should have better talent. I'm very unimpressed with Florida's backcourt. As Bracken and I talked about on Sunday's podcast, Auburn has a couple of good bigs. 
and it's kind of like the they're kind of like the example of what you would like pose to Kermit Davis if you were trying to convince him not to build a team around the front court. Like if you don't have dynamic guards in the SEC, you're going to struggle. I think Florida is a little bit of an example of that. So I am not impressed with Florida's talent level, right? They have that Castleton kid. There's one other, I can't remember his name, who's, who's a big as well. And then you look around and you're like, what else is there? Like, how are you not getting this sort of talent? So I get both sides of it. I'm not saying Mike White would be a great fit at Ole Miss. I'm not saying he'd be a good fit. I'm not standing for Mike White. But he's also like one of the most unpopular guys in Gainesville right now. And I think some of that is due to the unrealistic expectations Billy Donovan left behind. I'm not saying all of it is. But Billy Donovan won back-to-back national championships in a day and age where that's next to impossible now in college basketball. And Mike White's won an NCAA tournament game in four straight years and would have probably for a fifth, he definitely would have made the tournament in 20. You know, it's not fair and it's probably playing the results to say, well, he just would have won a game even though it's canceled. I don't know that. But every year he's been to the NCAA tournament, he's won a game. So, like, what are we talking about as far as, like, not winning? But to get back to your question, I know you're not necessarily suggesting that. That's why. There's Ole Miss ties. He's an Ole Miss alum. Every time he came back to the pavilion, he would talk about what a great place it is and why he's so glad they built it and how much he and his family love Ole Miss and that whole dog and pony show. So seems like a nice man. I don't know much about Mike White other than that. Um, but that's certainly why he, he keeps uh, being brought up. But I also understand the you know, underwhelming aspects of what he's done at Florida despite some of the NCAA tournament results. Because, you know, I, I got to be totally fair on this. You know, I talked about them winning a game each year. Also, you can talk about overall record, 21 and 13. Snook into the tournament wins a game. 20 and 16 in 2019. Sneaks into the tournament wins a game. 19 and 12. That was the year it was canceled. 15 and 10 last year and gets in the tournament wins a game. So, like, you're not compiling 27 win seasons, you know, and getting into the tournament with ease as, you know, a four to seven seed, which is what you should probably expect most years at Florida. So I get it, but that's where the comparisons are come from. And then I would also just like to point out, he hasn't been a total bum. All right, keeping it moving along here with the mailbag questions. Let's see what we got up next. Where is Anthony Boone's jersey retired? Common sense variant asks. Another internet name that just – a lot of stuff going on out there in the internet streets. I don't understand the Twitter names. I mean, I obviously understand what common sense variant means, the – your handle is the third quarter. Anyway, not the point. ADD is kicking in. Um, who am I missing here? Anthony Boone? Why would he have – what am I missing here? Are we talking the basketball player under Rob Evans like that, Anthony Boone? Uh, I, where is his retired jersey? I have no idea. What, this might be one of the stranger questions we have gotten on – mailbag friday in quite a while i uh i don't know how to answer this i, I don't know in the rafters in the tad pad covered in the asbestos i really have no idea i'm going to move on from that one but i appreciate your con- contribution to the people's holiday here we go keeping it rolling samford moore checking in resident pga tour caddy when are you going to have your dad on the pod well <laughs> maybe once he listens to a show first i actually answered this one on twitter on uh, thursday night um, yeah, my dad claims he's never listened to one of my podcasts, which I don't resent him for by any stretch. I wouldn't want to listen to me talk for that long. So like, no, no hard feelings there, but the reasoning is a little maddening. He claims he doesn't know how to access podcasts. And when I try to teach him, like, or I offer to teach him, he just doesn't want to learn. Um, that's just like an old person thing, I think. 
and not that I'm calling my dad old, but he's not young. Cause I mean, hell I'm 26, like simple math. It's not young, young by that stretch, but like, Old people just kind of get set in their way sometimes and they just don't want to do anything. I mean, think about how long you have a podcast app on your iPhone. Think about how many apps he uses on his iPhone. Like he's, he's a capable phone user. Like there's an app that just says podcasts and it's Apple podcasts and you just open it and then type it in. I mean, it's probably easier than a Google search to be completely honest. There's less variables like the search engines more specific. Like it's, it's probably easier than a simple Google search. But podcasts have never been a part of his life, never been a part of his listening repertoire. And that's just it. I think you just hit a certain age, like 45 maybe, or 40 to where you're just like, you know what? Anything new, terrible. Anything new, I'm not doing it. I kind of respect it in some ways, but in other ways, it's maddening. It's like, yeah, have you ever been in line like or somewhere or we're like an older person? And I'm not talking about my dad anymore. My dad is not a senior citizen. But have you ever been like in line somewhere where a senior citizen is just really not giving a shit. Maybe he's given like a cashier or a waitress the business. And he's not necessarily just being like outright mean or rude, but like stern to the point of like, wow, this guy really doesn't care. I think you just hit an age where you just don't give a shit and you know you can kind of get away with pretty much anything. Honestly, senior citizen privilege, the least talked about privilege in this country. You could pretty much get away with anything that's not sort of hardcore crime once you surpass the age of 65. And I think most of it is rooted in the fact that no one just gives a shit. People stop giving a shit. I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to getting old, but when I do, I cannot wait to play that card. I cannot wait to just not give a shit about anything and do what I want. I, I'm going to drive my golf cart dangerously close to the green and get out, even though I'm hopefully whatever age I'm at, still playing golf, still perfectly able to go park my cart on the cart path and, you know, walk over to the green. No, I'm parking that thing two feet away from a bunker. I'm parking that thing on the fringe because you know why? I'm 65 and I can do whatever the hell I want. That was kind of an unhinged rant. But anyway, uh, if my dad ever listens to a pod, we will consider having uh, having him on for, I don't know, financial corner or um, – complain about small things around the house corner. I don't know. You pick. All right, here we go. Keeping it moving. That one got off the rails a little bit. Would you rather – we're good for one of these a week. Captain Insano, internet names undefeated. And your handle is courtesy of Captain One. Okay, Captain Insano, appreciate you checking in. Thank you for your service wherever you served as a captain. Checking in here. We're good for about one of these a week. Would you rather have a chronic toothache or a reoccurring paper cut? Neither get better, and you also can't wear a glove for your fingers. Oh, God. I think I'm still going paper cut. I just – I'm not a big – I've never had – luckily, knock on wood. I've never had, like, major, like, dental problems. Like, in this – I've never had to have, like, a root canal or anything like that. I've had my wisdom teeth out, and I've also had – a couple cavities through the years. Sorry, ate too much candy. Maybe lied about singing the happy birthday song to my mom, uh, however many times that you need to adequately brush your teeth. Had some cavities through the years. I hate tooth and mouth pain. It just sucks. I think it's one of the more underrated kind of pains that there is in, like, in existence. Whatever the pain threshold spectrum is, that's one of the more underrated ones that just kind of sucks. Um, I'm trying to think, when you, like when you were a kid and you had braces, do you remember how bad it sucked? after 
you would go get like your monthly checkup and the orthodontist too. I'm, I'm convinced actually, I don't want to offend the orthodontist community that li- listens to this podcast. Cause I know there's thousands of orthodontists uh, just passing their day by listening to the Riffy rights podcast. But, um, anyway if you ever been where they're just tightening it up i have an orthodontic orthodontics rant that i think part of it i got scammed but um and he tightens it up and then you go home and you can't sleep like comfortably for like two days because your mouth is just constantly in pain can't sleep is probably a little extreme but you can't eat anything hard for like four days because you know dr jimmy or whatever decided that he need to move some teeth around and tighten some things up in there and you're just in pain for a week or the rubber bands. My God, I hated rubber bands. Whenever you get rubber bands, you'd sleep in them the next morning and then wake up like you'd just gotten your jaw busted. Sucked. I hate tooth pain. I hate mouth pain. I got my wisdom teeth out. It wasn't uh, wasn't so bad. I got it. I don't think I had a. Ter- I wouldn't call mine a terrible case of having your wisdom teeth out. But like just having the aching mouth pain to me is one of the worst mouth pains. So I'm gonna go paper cut because you say I can't wear a glove. But I could find other ways to cover that up. Like maybe that's a loophole. Maybe that's cheating Captain Insano's rules of this game. But like I would just rather have a paper cut. Like, you know, I'll eat crawfish with one hand. I'll I'll figure it out. I just I hate having a chronic toothache. That would be the most miserable form of pain. My orthodontist rant, I'm probably not gonna get into it, but I had orth I had braces for five years. And half the time I got to like seventh grade. We're talking year three of braces here. I think I had like fourth to ninth grade. Seventh grade. Like, my man, I'd come in, and the orthodontist is just like, all right, you're making great progress. I've been like, all right, you've been saying that since the previous president, presidential administration, pal. Like, when am I getting these things off? I think he just started moving stuff around to move stuff around because braces aren't, uh, aren't cheap. So, anyway, on the off chance my childhood orthodontist is listening to this, sorry, I'm somewhat saying this tongue-in-cheek, but I had braces for five years, and there's just no way it takes five years to fix my teeth. There's just no possible way that's the case. Anyway. Last message to my orthodontist out there. Stop wearing my retainer immediately. Deal with it. Uh, let's see. Tyler Whitmore, buddy of mine, watching the Super Bowl at his house on Sunday. Not that anyone at all cares, but resident Mavs fan. Do the Mavs have a chance to win a playoff series with KP gone? Luka has been playing as good as anyone. Well, I mean, they have a chance to play, win a playoff series just because of Luka Doncic, which honestly one of the nice parts of moving to Dallas is in general just – but I don't think the move that they made with Kristaps uh, Porzingis was to necessarily get better, like to try to improve their playoff position, to be completely honest. I don't do a ton of NBA stuff on this podcast because I'm not sure how much of like an audience there is for me to do an NBA corner, you know, twice a week. But I do like keep up with the league. I probably don't watch as much as I would like, like to admit I do just from a, I don't know, only so much you can watch without having, you know, zero social life between the old Miss stuff and everything else putting NBA like committed NBA watcher on the palette or on the menu, just going to take up too much time. But anyway, I keep up with the league a decent bit. And one of the nice things about moving to Dallas has not only been um, just having like, you know, sports teams to go to games and stuff, but you know, having like the greatest 22 year old basketball player of all time to go watch for you know, under a hundred bucks. If you swing it well, most nights, pretty awesome. So Luca is special enough for them to win a playoff series on their own. I think the Christoph Porzingis thing, because you think about it, they got Spencer Dinwiddie, and I forget what else was in the trade for him, but Spencer Dinwiddie is the only real piece. That doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to play with around Luka Doncic, unless they're really just going to go like a gigantic small ball thing the rest of the way, which I guess could work. But even if it works, I'm not sure that was necessarily their plan. I think that they're 
I think one Mark Cuban likes Spencer Dinwiddie a lot. I remember reading that back in the summer and they didn't end up signing him and he goes to Washington instead. And now he gets him. But I think the Christoph Porzingis trade was just waving the white flag on this guy being able to stay healthy. He just hasn't been able to stay on the court. And it's unfortunate because he is very talented and you know, when it's right, like they've looked good in moments, but he just can't stay on the court. And I think it was them getting 50 cents on the dollar for Christoph Porzingis' value just to wave the white flag on him being able to be available and on the floor and to get out of that contract. You know, you probably, like, did they get a great return for him? Did it make a ton of sense? No. But are they also that much worse of a basketball team? No. And I think it opens up their flexibility of what they can do this summer. So I don't think the Christoph Porzingis thing was like a gear up to improve your playoff seating, see if we can make a conference finals this year. Even though they were playing pretty well the last three, four weeks, even with Porzingis, which kind of underscores my point. I think it was mostly just, we tried with this guy. It's unfortunate injuries have caught up to him. Hopefully he figures it out, but we're not really really willing to carry or take on that risk anymore. I think that was what the Kristaps Sorzingas trade was. All right, keeping it moving. Got a few more to get to. Let's see. You may be too young, but before smartphones, what would you read on the bowl? Oh, I, I spent five minutes. I paused the podcast trying to figure out what this reference was. You're t- I think you're talking about reading on the toilet. I don't know. Magazines? Stack of Sports Illustrateds? Before smart <laughs> – I'm not too young for smartphones. My first phone was a uh, Samsung flip phone, and then I got the uh, – I got the Razor. I got the Motorola Razor. And talk about who ran sixth grade once your boy showed up in the hallways with the black Razor. That was uh, pretty sick. Then I graduated the BlackBerry, Rick Breaker. That became cool. And then I was actually one of the last people in my class to get an iPhone. Uh, I had a BlackBerry until 2012, 2013. I think my freshman year of college or right before – no, senior year of high school because we had a uh, homecoming night mishap with, uh, with a pool and a BlackBerry and possibly something that's not exactly water – getting in it, and then finally I broke down and bought the iPhone. But as far as your question, I think it's probably Sports Illustrated. I don't really have a great answer or any sort of exciting answer for that. So sorry about that one. Let's see. Couple more. Fresno Bob checking in. Hello, Bob. Where do you find a code DC with at least a year calling a defense? I think you meant to say experience. At least a year's experience calling a defense with recruiting chops in February. Um, you don't, I mean, I, would say, I say that they'll find someone, but think about it. This is Chris Partridge's defense anyway. And you're referring to the Chris Kiffin thing, which I guess we can just turn this into Chris Kiffin corner. I don't think there was a whole lot to this one. I don't know anything about the situation, but you think about it. Chris Kiffin, when he was here the first time, got a show caused. Then he goes to, or excuse me, after he leaves Ole Miss and the staff gets fired before the show cause is handed down, he goes to FAU. There have been some decent success. And then the show cause comes down and he stays in professional football and or goes to professional football and has stayed in it and I think what he probably found out is wow I get a real offseason and I don't have to make pretend to be friends with 16 year old kids and text teenagers all the time this kind of kicks ass I might get fired quicker I might have to move cities more you know professional football is a different style of coaching but you know sign me up for this and I think he probably took this job thinking it was his best option at the time probably wasn't fully invested in it then kind of realized what was coming down the pipe, had an opportunity to go back to pro football, and left. 
you can't really blame someone. Like if if Chris Kiffin or any of the assistant coaches at this juncture left to go to, I don't know, name the school, Oklahoma State. I, mean, I just said that because of Derek Mason, but another SEC program. Then I'd kind of be like, all right, what's up here? But a guy that had previously been in the NFL came back to his brother's staff, now goes back to the NFL because he has a change of heart. I don't think that's really indicative, indicative of anything at all. I think it's mostly – most all, I mean, I think it's a lifestyle play. Like you, your lifestyle is different coaching in the NFL, and there's a lot less stuff outside of coaching that you have to deal with. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people, and I don't necessarily blame them. Would you want to hang out with 17, 18-year-olds all the time? I don't mean hang out in terms of the kids he coaches. I'm really talking about the recruiting side. So um, they'll find someone, but this is, this is Partridge's defense. This is Partridge's shot. And, you know, they'll bring someone else in, but I doubt it's going to have a tremendous impact on Ole Miss one way or another, to be honest. Now, it's not a complete zero, that, like a completely insignificant that they lost Chris Kevin, but I really don't think it's that, that, big of, uh, that big of a deal. So, anyway, that is my answer for that one. Let's see. Would you trade Her- Caleb Saylor's checking in? I didn't understand the question last week. It, I think you're the guy that asked me if I was mad at him. I didn't understand that one. That one Spend some time confused at that. Um, would you trade hairdos with Neil if it meant Ole Miss won a national championship in football or baseball? One, no. And this is not to slander Neil or the cleared hair community out there. If you say, I'm pretty sure bald is offensive, so I'm pretty sure what they're going – I'll have to check with Neil on this um, and maybe bring in a microaggression mediator into this, but I'm pretty sure we are referring to them as clear-haired people or possibly follically challenged people. I'm not sure, but I, I want to tap uh, toe that line, make sure I don't t- offend anyone. Um, you know, Neil could have me fired immediately if he wanted to for calling him bald, which I'm not doing. But my answer is no. And it's not because I'm anti-clear-haired or anti-follically challenged people or just bald being a look, hop on a Harley, you know, grow some facial hair, maybe get a tattoo in a leather vest. Like there's a lot of ways to, to rock the bald hairdo. I just don't care that much about Ole Miss winning a national championship in football or baseball. It'd be fantastic for business, but uh, seeing Mike Bianco, you know, grin at the peak of the sport, I wouldn't exactly have dreams about that. And then on the football side, it'd be awesome for business. It'd be fun. Probably get some sort of book out of it or something, but uh, I kind of like my hair. But again, it's not an anti-bald thing. It's just, what, are you, what am I getting for trading with Neil's hairdo or just bald in general? I'm not getting a ton out of that. Not getting a ton of enjoyment. Again, outside of it being entertaining and more of you people listening to this podcast and more money. But you know, if you can give me a tangible quantity of how much more money I would make if Ole Miss won a national championship, I might consider standing in solidarity, solidarity with my friend Neil and the clear-haired community. Thanks for the submission. Corey Clark checking in. Make a positional lineup from last year's football starters. Whoa. Okay, John Rice Plumley's at center field. Um, Taiwan Malone, I'll put him at first base because he actually plays baseball. Well, does Plumley count? You said last year's football starters. Oh, that's not fair. I'm just gonna go players. I think it's hard too hard to do starters. Taiwan Malone, I, I, I actually I'll take the two sport guys and then the starters. Ely actually, uh, I'll go Ely center field. Plumley, left field, Malone, first base. My shortstop is probably going to be hmm. I don't know. This is too tough. I'm trying to think of best athletes on the team. 
Mark Robinson, pretty good athlete. That didn't make a ton of sense as a shortstop. I'm overthinking this already, I know. but And then there's probably someone else I'm missing with baseball experience. I'm going to go Mark Robinson, my shortstop, as my third baseman. I'm going to go someone who I think could probably hit for power. I will go with – hmm. Damn, this one's tough. I don't even know what these dudes would look like on a football – or baseball field. Sam Williams, I don't know. Big, lanky dude. Can he swing a bat? I doubt it, but whatever. Sam Williams, my third baseman. Second baseman, Tylen Knight, because I like seeing one small infielder in a sea of larger people on the baseball field. I always find that funny. Um, I'm going to go Chance Campbell as my catcher, just because that's uh, one tough SOB. And then what do I have left? I have, I guess, Matt Corral as a pitcher. That seems easy enough. And then right field, I don't know. Ken K. Dent. He probably got gear in a baseball uniform at Jackson Academy. So that's that's uh that's some experience. Boom. That's two MIS kids on the team. Yeah, that's a nice balance. That's my baseball starting lineup. Thanks for tuning in. Let's see. The LFG shirts checking in here. Is it time for Power Five football for a Power Five football school to hire a rush chair for head recruiting coordinator? Slash general manager. Is this going to become my brand just making fraternity references as it pertains to Ole Miss athletics? Maybe it is. I don't know. I'll be up for it. Um, that would be kind of funny. You know, we need this kid out of – I don't know. Your recruiting demographics would change to some, some degree. Like, we got to get this kid from MUS. He has a sick boat. Can he throw the football for shit? No, but that's not important. Kid has a boat. Did you hear me? So, that would change some things up. Um, but yeah, I think that, look, you know, Eric Stratton, damn glad to meet you. Have you met the bag man? Have you met our treasurer? Barney Farrar. His name's Barney. He's real nice. He's a fifth year, uh, not grades aren't really his thing, but that guy's really good at handling the money. Have you met, you know, I don't know, our social chair. I just, would Barney be the social chair? The chair? Now Barney would be the treasurer. You know, have you met the social chair? I think I'm all for Russ chair being a recruiting coordinator GM. Just give him a try. Uh, you know, pull some kid out of Sigma Chi with the SIG in his mouth and one of those pocket T-shirts and just be like, look, I need you to spend a weekend around the premises and make sure all these kids come here. No rules. So, yes, I'm in for that. Justin Bush checking in. What is the initiation process into the Auburn cult? Well, it's certainly not monogamy if you're talking about Brian Harson being reinstated. So, initiation process? I think you let the bird land on your head as like like reams of fire or something go off behind you. Like you stand at midfield, that bird that comes down and swoops down lands on your head. And then there's like a ring of fire that you're in. And then plot twist, you have to kill the bird. Boom, you're a member of the Auburn family. Shepherd Rebel Nuts checking in. <laughs> Shepherd's Pie. That's his question. Shorten to the point. Thank you for tuning in, Mr. Nuts. Uh, sure, I think Shepherd's Pie is fine. Um, you know, I don't know the last time I've necessarily craved Shepherd's Pie, but it seems okay. Sure, I don't know. Um, anyway, come back next week, Rebel Nuts. Top five Olympic sports you wish you were good at. I'm not – I've done this before. I think Brent Ferguson checking in here. I think you actually triggered me into this Olympics rant last summer. I'm not a huge Olympics guy. I'm not anti-Olympics by any means. This is not a uh, – uh, this is not a Chinese genocide stance. I uh, will leave that to other podcasts. 
But, like, just winter, summer, Olympics, just – I think they're cool. I'll watch them when they're on, but that just doesn't do it a ton for me. But to answer – this is a good question. What Top five Olympic winter sports I wish I was good at. Uh, one, for sure, the skiing. Um, that seems pretty cool in the snowboarding. So that's two right there out of the way. People say the figure skating. I was, uh, I, I appreciate what the figure skaters do. I just don't have a good, like a much of a desire to be good at that. I don't know, really know why. It's just like, like, I'm like, wow, these people are awesome at what they do. But like, if we're talking top five here. I'm just not sure that is. Uh, the curling, because it looks like you could have any sort of diet. You could drink as much beer as you want to. You could eat however you want to. And all you have to do is show up and do the curling thing. That seems pretty cool. If I could figure out how to do that, that would seem like a hell of a life. So that's two. How many Winter Olympic sports are there? That's a terrible question, isn't it? I should know that. Winter Olympics, we're getting the IT department on this right now as we speak. This is terrific podcasting. Ski jumping, that looks pretty cool. Those dudes get like terror. Uh, no, I already said skiing. I'm changing the skiing to ski jumping. So we still got to get two more in here. Um, I'm going to do the bobsledding. That looks pretty cool, but also dangerous as hell. And then it says dog sled racing. I'd like to do that, you know, eight below or whatever that movie is now. Snow dogs. That was a big one when we were a kid. Um, so sure. Those are my five ones. I probably could have picked a better fifth one, but I'm just a guy with a podcast. Let's see. Why can't Winthrop Mortemeyer? There's no way that's a real name. Are you a Sigma Nu? Winthrop Mortemeyer? Mortimer? I mean, I have no room to talk, but what was on your bid card? Anyway, why can't we just pay recruits in Bitcoin? The NCAA can't trace that. That's a great point. They should have told Jaheim Otis to buy the crypto short. They probably would have gotten him. This is going to take someone much smarter than me to answer this if this is a serious question. I don't know how in the world you would funnel NIL money through Bitcoin. I don't know how that works. I might eventually have someone try to come on and explain crypto to me. We might have a candidate that here in a second uh, on the uh, – and the, as we wind down these last couple of questions, but um, I don't know. That's true. If Bitcoin's untraceable, then get these kids into crypto. Maybe get them all some vests, let them sit around the war room like they're on the board of some company, and boom, they're just crypto moguls that also can smash people's face in on the football field. I'm all for it. Seems like a great idea. As far as the logistics, again, probably outside my pay grade. Let's see. By looking at his Twitter, do you think Sam Shellhaus, 22, has a chance to be the next Warren Buffett? It's looking pretty good. So Sam Shellhaus, one of the world's leading crypto and life coach experts. Um, check him out, Sam Shellhaus, 22, on Twitter. This guy's changing the game. He bought the short. Um, here, let me read some of his content from this past week. It just really puts me in alignment every morning. Let's see. Here we go. Trying to figure out. Where was the last motivational tweet we had? Come on. This, this really got me up. Let's see. Where is it? Analysis, capital, execution. Simple enough. Boom. That guy's going to start the next Uber. So, yes, I think he could be the next Warren Buffett. Maybe we'll have him on to explain crypto to me. Thank you for your service, Sam. Everyone go give him a follow. Keep pushing out that fire content. Couple more here before we get out of here. We had, well, do we have a couple more? I always miss some every week. Maybe that was the end of it. We can't end the podcast on that note. There's just no, no possible way we can do that. This is a good one from last week that I think I missed. If you had full power to change college football's rules, what would you do? NIL, transfer, portal, playoff, et cetera. We've hit on this 
a little bit. Maybe I answered this one last week, but it's worth reiterating. I can't really uh, – I can't – honestly, I don't remember. Um, but I would probably have a transfer portal window. And then I don't know how you cap NIL. It's just rich people spending their money. And I don't think you can necessarily dictate how they do that. But I think you could probably red tape it enough to where there's some sort of more level playing field. Because as much as the Kiffin rant, which we talked about in uh, in um, – in last week's podcast, like the schools with the larger pockets are going to benefit from this until some sort of regulation is in place. Like it's just kind of the wild west in that sense. So I don't know how you would regulate it, but I would make sure it's all above board. And then the problem is, is I don't necessarily know who's punishing it at this point. I don't really have faith in the NCAA to kind of hammer someone that screws up the NIL and gets caught doing it illegally, but I would make the punishments pretty stiff for getting caught doing it. And I would make sure like it's as red taped as possible and as above board as possible. That's a dumb, vague answer, but that's, uh, that's about all I got for you. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Mailbag Friday. Those are all the questions. If you want to participate in next week's People's Holiday, get your questions in, tweet them, email, however you would uh, prefer to contact me, and we will get it read on the show. Thanks for tuning in to the People's Holiday, chiming in a little late on a Saturday. But uh, we will be back next week, I promise, on Friday. Y'all have a great Rest of your weekend, start of your week, whenever the hell you're listening to this. Thanks for making us part of your day, and be safe. Before we get going today, checking out at the top here, just a quick uh, – not that it really matters, but uh, we had the pause in the uh, podcast midway through, so I'm time traveling right now. I'm talking to you on Saturday when the first half of this pod you hear was recorded on Friday. Don't think it affects much, but uh, the people's holiday was on a Saturday this week. If you guess at what point I stopped the pod – I will give you a free hug there anyway. All right, let's get rolling. It's Mailbag Friday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.